Welcome to another edition of Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with Dr. Caroline Bethea-Jones. I am your host, and today we will continue to have candid conversations about faith and religion. Ever since I was a little girl, I have been fascinated with religion. When I was younger, I understood religion to be a study of the Holy Bible. I didn't know other religions existed. I believed that everyone believed as I believed and received the same teaching. I later discovered that that was not necessarily true. But it would take many years to realize that there was much more to religion than what I was initially taught. As a child, I questioned everything. And when I didn't get the answers I was looking for, I began my own search for truth. And that search led me down a rabbit hole from which I have yet to emerge. I am still searching and learning more than 40 years later, becoming a doctor of philosophy and biblical studies, and I have found that there is no beginning and no end. From forever in the past to forever in the future, He is God. And I will never be able to grasp his sovereignty. But even still, my quest for knowledge continues. My returning guest is Mr. Nika Ahmed. And for the next three months, he will teach me something new. We will have amazing spiritual conversations that will continue to guide me on this spiritual journey as I strive to obtain a higher consciousness. And although often called a teacher, there is still a lot to learn. And I am not afraid to call myself a student. I welcome this opportunity to learn and grow. So welcome to my show. I am also delighted to welcome back my co-host, Miss Anita Prum. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent, Caroline. How are you? I'm doing excellent, too. I am ready to start learning. Are you ready to start learning? I am ready to start learning. I look forward to our continuation of conversation with Basui Nikia Men, and, of course, Kiana Jones Nikia Men. And with that, I will pass the baton over to him so that he can pick up where we left off back in April. Looking forward to the discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi. How are you, Mr. Uh, Nika Ahmed? Did I, first of all, did I say your name correctly? Nika Ahmed, I believe you did. Okay, then. <laughs> All and right, so let's get started. Oh, yes. Yes, let's get started. Let's just dive right on in here because I know you have a lot to teach us. So let's just get right on in there. Well, you know what? First, I just want to say um, thank you or do I, you know, which is a term of um, endearment, of, you know, an expression of thanks, giving gratitude in uh, ancient Kemet. So um, we definitely like to speak the language whenever we have a chance and, and definitely when it's time to give thanks and express our love. You know, we, we take an opportunity to do that. So do I, Jay, <laughs> and, and thank you. And uh, Dr. Jones, I, I just want to say um, thank you for having me back and allowing me once again, uh, you know, to, you know, especially this time to expound my journey 
uh, on the studies, on you know my um, African spirituality, my journey in studies as a spiritual aspirant in the Kemetic legacy. So um, thank you for allowing me to have this platform or providing me with this platform tonight. I'm truly grateful for that. And we are happy to have you. We, we, are, the, we are the ones who are happy to have you. So thank you for coming back. Right. Yes. So uh, I guess I'll start with um, just kind of a set the scene. Uh, I am, as you said, uh, I am Basui Mshu Nika Amen. I am a high priest initiate of the shrine of Jehuti Harunepu, where we are committed to promoting, studying, and, and teaching the legacy and the spiritual practice of ancient Egypt, or what is properly known as Kemet, uh, from its native African point of view and reference. Uh, at the shrine, I'm also a teacher of the Medunetcha, which is the language that was commonly spoken and written by the people of Kemet. Uh, the shrine is founded and it's presently ran by our Kemetic high priest, Mpundishi uh, Jahutimas. Uh, the shrine operates out of Harlem, New York. Right now, because of everything that's going on post-COVID, we're doing most of our events on, on Zoom. Uh, for more insight uh, into the shrine, into what we're about, uh, the practices that we espouse, and the, the classes that we offer, you can look us up on the shrine website. It's actually mpundishijahutimas.net. I can spell it out. <laughs> uh, for for podcast purposes, uh, M is Mary M F U N D I S H I J H U T Y M S dot net. That's infundishijahutimas uh, dot net. And like I said, you can find about find out about all that's going on in our shrine. Uh, to keep you updated. Uh, especially if you're you know, like an aspirant and you want to um, learn more about the Kemetic legacy, it's a, it's a great site uh, to refer you to. And if you're ever interested in taking any classes with Nature, we offer uh, Christology classes, Herbology classes. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's there, you know, the, the knowledge is there, it's, the learning is there. So if you ever get interested, please uh, feel free to utilize the uh, website. Thank you. Thank you for that. And so um, I often get the question of, of why do I study what I study? Why do I go so hard, you know, with, with, with um, Kimmy? Uh, you know, especially in my family. I'm, you know, I'm the black sheep of the family. You know, I'm, I'm the only one studying this stuff, <laughs> you know. And um, you know what it is? It, it's actually, it, it wasn't. Originally, it wasn't even the study into Kemet that sparked my, my, um, my yearning for it, if, if you would say. But um, it was actually health that was the link that brought me over into Kemet. There was a, like a key word that I saw and said, wait a minute, I got to look even further into this now. But so when I was really uh, getting more health conscious, I was reading books on health. I was watching documentaries on health, you know, um, learning all about the, you know, 
recommended daily allowances and, uh, you know, what America says, the RDA and all of this stuff. And then I read a book by Dr. Laila Africa, and it was called African Holistic Health. I read the book and then I, I read his second book. It was called Nutricide, right? And so Dr. Laila Africa teaches what's called uh, ethnonutrition, sorry, ethnonutrition. And, and basically ethnonutrition says that as melanated beings, uh, what, what America says is the RDA, you know, like the recommended daily allowance that a person should uh, have per calorie, you know, on a 2200, what was it, what is it, 2200 calorie diet or something like that? 1800 calorie diet, the daily uh, different for everybody, I think, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so Dr. Africa says for Africans, those of African descent or melanated, you know, Africans, it's way different. The numbers are way different. We can't go by those American standards. That's set for them. That's set for non-melanated systems, <laughs> you know? And so he wrote these books specifically for that. So he threw in all, he has all of the numbers, the calculations that we should be looking at that speak to our authenticity, you know? Uh, some doses, some herbs we needed to double up on that they only needed maybe one dose on, which would actually only uh, which would equate to that one dose in our system. Some herbs we needed to, or, or some chemicals, we only needed half of what they need, right? And so when, when I started looking at that, you know, and I started seeing certain diseases that were creeping up in people, and, you know, I see, so, I, you know, I started to see the abuses in some of these chemicals that Dr. Africa was saying are not right for our bodies, you know? And so that was where, that was where the spark started. That was where the spark started to say, I need to know more now, <laughs> you know, about, about melanated folk, about us, you know, because there's some lies going on here. Yeah. You How know? Old you? And, yeah, that was my question too. Uh, yeah. Well, this, okay, this was 20, this was 2010. This was the end of 20, no, I'm sorry, this was 2011. 2011, I, I just entered into, uh, well, I just graduated from the Institute of uh, Integrative Nutrition, right, which is like one of the, the, the biggest uh, schools of, that, that teach nutrition for, you know, for health coaches on the East Coast, right? And so I just finished their course. So I just finished their course. I listened to all of their lectures. You know, I downloaded all of their programs and courses. And then I read Dr. Africa's book. Wow. So, so they were teaching from the Western perspective, you know. And so Dr. Africa turned me into a whole new thought now. He, he put me in a whole different mindset. So, so can, can I just, um, just yeah. interject here? Okay, yeah. so you graduated from the School of Integrated Health. Then you read this book, which I have. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Wait, yes. let me take my yes. Then yes. I read right. this book. Oh, but would, man. so would you say then that the integrated health did not integrate all health? No, they omitted <laughs> no. this no. part. 
Right. So there was really no integration right. of knowledge that you received. Right. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Very much, uh, omitted uh, that book right there, the information okay. that comes out of that book. Okay. And so the book is filled with comedic philosophy. He even has a, 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 I believe there's a diagram where he talks about eating for my, and we'll, you know, we'll discuss that. If not in this session, maybe in a later session. Yeah. Then he goes into African medicine, you know? And so that's when he really gets into chemistry because he starts talking about, uh, there was this, um, you know, the, he goes into, what did he call him? Uh, the father of, of medicine over here. I think that and so he goes into Imhotep, who was the original father of, of medicine, right? He's the one who actually performed most of the, you know, first surgeries, you know? He's the one who invented, I mean, they have volumes of health books in, in Kemet, which he wrote many of them, you know, or he commissioned many of them. And so I started reading this and I saw, I'm, I'm seeing truths, so many truths that have been omitted from reading Dr. Africa, juxtaposing it to the course that I just finished, you know? And that was, so that was the start of the trek right there. That was the journey. And then, like I said, Kemet was his main focus. And so that right there led me to really dive deeper into Kemet because I wanted to see what more was being omitted. What more was it being told? And not just what more was being uh, told, but what more can I learn? You know, what more can I learn for myself to better myself? Because remember, I went in health to learn to how to better myself. You know, I didn't, I didn't go in it to, to uncover untruths, you know, or to uncover truths, you know? And so, um, yeah, the more and more it led me to Kemet, the more I started to feel, you know what, um, I got into a point where I was just tired of blindly subscribing to someone else's, you know, historical accounts yeah. about our history, about our history. And it was only, it was like my self proclamation pretty much to say, this is it for me. I'm not going back to doing that, you know? And so the more I got into the, the, the studies of Kemet, the more I became driven by two things, right? Inspiration and frustration, <laughs> you know? In the beginning, not anymore. I'm not as frustrated anymore uh, because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to alleviate those uh, frustrations, the self-imposed frustrations, right? And so I became inspired by reading about those truths that were hidden from us, but at the same time, I became frustrated because why are they hidden from us, you know, and the ways that they're hidden from us. That's what really mm. frustrates you because you realize that the implicit, I mean, everybody is in on hiding the truth from us. Yeah. You know, Dr. Yeah. John Henry Clark has a passage that says, uh, uh, we have no friends in this world. If you have African descent, you have no friends. You know, it's you and you alone. You meaning your people and your people alone. And, um, you know, that's what it is. So we started really seeing, the more I started studying, the more I started seeing how everybody is complicit on this. And it's like an organized, a well-organized 
uh, attack, you know, where you can see it uh, happening generationally. It's the same cycle over and over. And so that, you know, really drove my frustrations, but it also kept an energy going in that made me study further and further. And then I, I ran into the shrine of Jyoti Heru Nepu. I saw my master in Fundishi at a, um, my master teacher in Fundishi at a African street festival one day. And I was already familiarized with the comedic concepts, but he had the, uh, a lot of the dolls out. You know, so quote unquote God, but we call them natural root. We had a lot of them out that I've always heard about, but I've never really had them explained to me. And so he took like about an hour to explain all of this to me in the concepts. And I fell in love with it right there. You know, I wow. fell in love with it right there. And so, so that was it. So that was it. I was on a mission ever since then to say, I am bringing this legacy back. I am lifting the veil off of all of these, un, you know, all of these lies i'm uncovering all of these untruths I'm, I'm sick of it you know i became really so sick. let me ask this question um basui um prior to your introduction to um all that you said were you a religious person did you study religion at all were you do, all right let me just throw this out there were you a christian were you uh, a muslim um what religion were you into before you found um, this spirituality that seemed to pull and tug at your heartstrings. What were you worshiping prior to that? Because when we talk I, about, I was not a subscriber. You see, at that point, I wasn't a subscriber of any organized religion. I but there had to be dabble. something that you were. I, I, I let me let me just let me just say this. Let me just let me just say this so we can um, streamline right. what I'm trying to say. In order for us to recognize that there has been some. Uh, lies being told to us, right? At or or our people, we we would have had to have heard some of those lies, and from what platform in which um, oh. we've heard them. Like, um, I, I'll give you an example. I I didn't know anything other than Christianity. Christianity is what I was uh, born into, pretty much, because my mom and dad were Christians. Their mom and dads were Christians. I didn't even know about the Muslim uh, religion until later or any other religions for that matter, because I kind of thought Christianity, everybody must have, you know, been a Christian. So and, and it was there was an unsatisfaction in my own spirit, in my own soul that led me to start questioning some of the things I was told, looking for a truth, trying to find my way because I wasn't quite satisfied with where I was. Did right. you have a similar situation? What was your experience? What did what what drove you to feel like you were searching for something deep within yourself to begin with? Mm. Yeah. Oh, that, now that's a good way to uh, to frame it right there. Oh, wow. Um, let me go back even further. I mean, now, oh man, well, now we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the 90s to this one. And, you know, I credit, like I always do, I am a child of early hip hop music. Um, <laughs> I was born and raised off of it, you know? I mean, that, that, that's where a lot of my culture, you know, a lot of, of my ways, I get my ways, my own idioms come from. And I hung around a lot of friends, uh, you know, all of the same circles. The music that we were listening to was already 
instilling in us that message of why do you have a white Jesus on your wall? You know, what's that all about? <laughs> you know, that's our oppressor, you know, and, and here you're worshiping your oppressor. And so that already kind of put a bug in our ears, gave us a certain attitude and a swagger, as you would, about religion, you know, about organized religion anyway. And I was taught in, in the churches. And, and so I've always had that, that, that sense of abstinence from organized religion, but knowing that there is a power, that there was a power that's greater than, than us all, you know, that controlled everything, that created everything that we need to give respect and homage to, that we have to pay this respect and homage to. And so that coupled with the fact that my family was never really, my brothers are, but my parents were never really into the church. They weren't Christian. Uh, my grandmother was, she was hardcore Christian. When we were children, she would take us to church. Never really, it never really resonated with me as a child though. You know, I was never really into, uh, I wasn't, you know, as a child, you're not really thinking about it like that. You know, to you, it's like, oh man, dress, get up, thing going on and, you know, sing some songs. I want to go back home and play. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, so it, it never really resonated with me like that. And so coming up that way and then running into this thing called hip hop, which drove our minds even more away, more towards pro-blackness and saying, yo, we don't, because it, it was more geared towards staying away from that white Jesus. They teach the oppressors uh, system and we need to stay away from that. And coupled with the fact that my parents weren't really into church, their thing was, look, you, you know, stay out of trouble. <laughs> you know, just don't get in trouble. Be a good child. You know, the way we raised you, practice everything that we taught you, you'll be okay. You know, but my brothers happened to go the other way. I still hung with friends of like mine, you know, who were more into the that black power culture, you know, I went to McAvoy's college, so there was very a very feel of pro-blackness, uh, the, the spoken word crowd, they say the incense burners, and the, um, uh, uh, what, what else? Uh, vegan, uh, the whole vegan crowd. And so I got them, and then I got have my brothers on the other end, and my brothers are anti what the people that I'm hanging out with, you know, they're anti who they are. You know, and so yeah, I started looking at my brothers as, you know, y'all are y'all are Christians and then y'all are laughing at me for aspiring to, you know, eat right and 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 you know, aspire to to concepts like higher consciousness and doing things that can better myself. But you know, y'all are really y'all are subscribing to uh what Western medicine and Western uh, concepts deemed as, you know, adequate for us to function as Africans. So I was really in my African bag, as you would say. So that kind of really kept me away from that and more towards moving into a, a more universal-minded way of looking at, at life. 
And so by the time I really got into my late 20s, 30s, you know, I, I'm reading more and, 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 you know, I'm getting into Malcolm. I'm getting into all of the, you know, more deeper into the pro-black. And look, I'm not saying that Christians aren't pro-black. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know, people who go to church aren't pro-black. I'm not saying that at all. You know, but I'm saying that uh, where my journey, um, <laughs> good for my journey, you know, how it really kind of drove me into a lane that kind of ended me up into a holistic way of looking at, you know, a life. Okay. So, so Masui, I think you've done a great job with laying the foundation of what we're talking about, um, which is why study ancient, ancient Kemet. So let's talk about um, the cultural su suppression, um, the well-designed system, as we all know. And under the ancient commit, how does, how does this factor into it? What can you share with us about cultural suppression? Anita, one, one second. Sure. Before we go into that, Anita, if there's, mm -hmm. what I think, I don't want to skip this part. Because sure. we have listeners out there who don't even know what this is. Can you okay. tell us? Let's answer the question. What is Kemet? Kemet. Am I saying that right? Kemet? Kemet? Kemet. How do you pronounce it? Kemet? What is Kemet. it? Right. Let, let's, let's go there Kemet. first before we start going into a system of, of what it do. What is it? And why should my listeners care? Right. Well, well, right, right, right. Well, well, Kemet was the original term that the people of that origin called themselves. Right. Uh, the origin I'm speaking of is the people situated around the Nile Valley, right in between the Mediterranean Sea and and the and, and right in between the Mediterranean Sea and what they call now Sudan or what was called Kush, right? Okay. That whole area right there. Right. And and so they called themselves uh, the committee, the Bremetch, the original people. And they referred to the land as Kemet. All right, so right. That, that that's a land. That's that's not a religion, that's a land. Uh, right, 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 right. Kemet is the land. I wanna be, yeah, because I wanna be clear, because we're, we're, we're oh, no, 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 no. Kemet was the community. Community. Right, right. Okay. So, what is there? A, is there a religion associated with that land? No, that no. Land? There, there, there's, there's no one uh, a doctrine that you can point to and say this is the doctrine of Kemet, because Kemet had they had what forty two uh, districts, right, or or what you call sepuks. And each of these sapoots, well, I won't say each of these sapoots, but several sapoots would praise a different aspect of the creator, depending on what was needed at that time for that sapoot. If it was protection, you would pray to the uh, aspect of the creator that dealt with protection, right? If it was for... Um, Oh man, let's say childbirth or or uh, you 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 have a natural root that were responsible for that that you uh, praise or you prayed to. But there were four theologies that operated.
that you would, you can say made up the entire spiritual system of Kimmy. And out of these four theologies, right, everybody pretty, mu uh, pretty much picked and choose, you know, which they would actually subscribe to that would better help their, you know, their, their district, you know, at the time. And so you had the theology of Minefer, what they call Memphis, where the creator was called, the, the creator was Ptah, right? And, and so each theology had a different name for the creator, right? So they didn't, they didn't all look at the creator as the same name. So they had a different name for the creator, same concept, but they just called the creator a different name. So you had the theology of Menefer, uh, that creator was Ptah, where he engendered life. Uh, you had the theology of Kimenu. In that theology, and that would be K-H-E-M-E-N-U, right? And that theology dealt with what's called the Agdoad, right? And the Agdoad meaning eight. And they were the eight uh, principles that existed in the pre-created state. So basically they dealt with the substratum of creation, this theology, right? To let you know everything that goes into, you know, everything that exists in creation started from that substratum. So they didn't even get to the pre, they weren't even into the created state, they went into the pre-created state, right? Then you had uh, the theology of Anu, and that creator there would be Ra, one of the most popular creators. And then you have the theology of Waset, where the, uh, the creator there would be Amen, who would later be combined with Ra and called Amen Ra. Mm -hmm. And that would be the total creator because Amen is the unseen force of the creator, represents the unseen, the hidden force, His name, means hidden one. And Ra would be the seeing force of the creator represented by the, the sun. And so Ra's symbol is the symbol of the sun, you know, when you see it in the hieroglyphics. So those would be the four theologies and the four names of the creators that, that you know, engendered creation for those theologies. You can ask your question again. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Yes. Nope. Okay, so now we understand what is uh, Kemet. Talking about cultural suppression, um, if we could now just delve into that and share with us. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I said the thing about cultural suppression. I mean, look, it's, cultural suppression has always been a, a, you know, a successful part of, uh, it's like a, just a step in a successful process of indoctrination, right? And there was always that suppression, that, um, that notion to hide everything that was rich and great about our history, you know, that we were inspired by, or uh, to hide those that we were inspired to be like, you know, hide all that information from us, you know? And then once they suppress us comes, once the suppression comes, then comes the degradation. You know, and that's the, the uh, <laughs> you know, the degrading us to a point where anything that seems promising to relieve us from this state of, of degradation 
we see as a breath of fresh air. And so we'll be quick to accept it. And then once they get to us to that point, and here comes that placebo salvation, right? Now they can start offering us their Western philosophies and, and, their, and their culture, you know, that will be indoctrinated along into. And not just that, but then they can repackage our idols, you know, that they've already hidden from us, and they can, they can re-represent them to us in their face. And so now we see that as the mold to follow. You know, our kids see that as the mold to follow. And, you know, with, with, with that comes with our invention. You know, they even repackage our invention, sell them to us. And now we inspire to, we inspire to, you know, we aspire to be like the people who have repackaged these inventions. And so, yeah, that that suppression is scary that way. And it, it has always existed in our community for that reason. Right. And now when we talk about Kemet, <laughs> so Kemet is like uh, man, the major, let's say, the major uh, facet of, of, of suppression. Kemet is Egyptology, right? And Egyptology, they're like the, you know, like any time, anything in, in Black history that matters, right? There's always that faction of people that are, that have been commissioned to suppress this information from us. And that's how you have to look at Egyptology. You know, these mm -hmm. are generational, you know, groups of, of Western, uh, you know, European uh, scholars who have basically uh, circumscribed Kemet. They, they, you know, their, their thing is to study, you know, Egyptology is that field of academics that studies the art, the language, the culture, and the, you know, quote unquote religion of, you know, what they call it, of ancient Egypt and sell it back to us. Their thing is to repackage it, sell it back to us in a face that we're not familiar with. And so you don't, that, and that today you won't find a school that does not have, that is not teaching from books that were written by Egyptologists, right? Uh, and I'm talking about from grade school to college, they're still teaching from an Egyptologist book. The curriculums are written to these Egyptologist uh, interests, right? So they're written with the Egyptologist concepts. So we're going to school, we're getting educated on Egypt, right? We're not getting educated on Kemet. A lot of people will tell you HBCUs aren't teaching you much about Kemet. They're still teaching you about ancient Egypt, you know? And what, you know, we'll get into that part when we talk about the reparations. Yeah, but I, I do, I do wanna, I do wanna um, bounce back just a little bit. We're, we're, we're not talking about a, a spiritual, force at this moment. We're, we're right now talking about an educational um, part of this. So what you're talking about is the way we're, we're taught about Africa, Egypt, and the way we have been given that information. Am I right? That's what yeah. we're Right, right, right. Exactly. Right, the right. suppression of it. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're, right, we're but, talking but, but, but let me, let me just, let me throw this in. That leads to the spiritual suppression of it all. Because to not teach Kemet in its authenticity 
is to deny us or to, to negate the authenticity is to deny us of the spirituality that comes from Kemet. So we don't even get to learn the spiritual lessons that they were trying to teach us. And what I always try to, what I always tell people is that if you're studying Kemet, you have to study its authenticity. Don't study what Egyptologists teach you because it's their job to, even with the names, to take the spirituality out of the names. That's why they renamed the people that we, you know, that we gave those original names, you know, their original names. That's why they renamed them to take the spirituality out, right? And, and look, this is part of, this is part of uh, what we're going to talk about a little bit later, but the things they do with, with our statues, you know, when they, when they take the nose off, you know, it's all about to cut the spirituality off. That's just a, a that wasn't even a segue. I'm, I'm just going to tease that. But this is things that they do to really uh, take the spirituality out of the teaching. You know, they, they have all of and, and that's why Kemet is so important because Kemet is where they have exhausted all of the techniques to really deny us of our history. If you really study Kemet, I mean, they in every area of human activity, they tackled Kemet. They attacked Kemet and they've turned it into, they've bastardized it into a point where we can't even recognize its African authenticity. You know, and, and what I think I'm what I think I'm hearing. Um, Anita, what are you hearing? What I think I'm hearing is that before we can even get into the spirituality that was practiced by our ancestors, we have to first understand the history behind the very place in which our ancestors was born and how that information was being withheld from us. As long as black people do not know where they come from, who they are, what their ancestors worship, then we can continue to be in this, um, artificial bliss, I, for lack of a better way to say it. So, mm -hmm. right, is that right? So as yeah, we, because we're gonna get all into the spiritual um, stuff a little bit later, but I think what, I, what I'm hearing you say is that you're talking about how, how come we as a people have not been able to find our uh, spiritual selves or reach our highest, consciousness because of so much about our ancestors and about our um our um history has been kept from us yeah. right and I because that's what that's what i'm getting yeah. yes that's what yeah. i'm getting I mean, we have we have been totally bereft of all kimmy well i mean totally you know there, there's so from look, just calling it egypt lets us know how much we've been bereft you know uh mm. any concept Anytime you speak on Egypt or, or anything Egypt, mostly it's, a, it's, it's in a very um, an Egyptologist way of, of thinking. It's their way of thinking about it. You know, it's not until you actually sit down with those who actually, what they call Africologists, you know, or Kemetologists, and you learn the authenticity from them, and then you realize how much you have been really you know, bamboozled by this. And my teacher likes to say, been turned upside out, inside, upside down, inside out, and backwards when it comes to learning about Kemet. Everything, I mean, almost everything we, we subscribe to, we think we subscribe to when it comes to Kemet, we really subscribe to uh, some Egyptologist way of uh, approaching or delivering Kemet. 
disseminating the information, you know. It's, it, yeah, and, and that's the danger of it. And the residue of that danger, the residue of that danger is when people don't learn, they don't understand their history, they get mad at the people, you know, uh, like myself or someone who's conscious and tries to put those pieces back together. And wants to come to them and say, look, man, we're not... We're not learning this the right way, man. We, we really need to start getting into calling this this and, and, and you know, addressing this by the proper name because our people are being bereft. And, and, and then so they start attaching these labels to you like a hotel brother, you know, and, and they, 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 all of these labels that were, were once words of endearment, they start turning into derogatory words towards you, right? And the thing about you know, Hotep Brothers, this new thing they started, you know, whenever they hear somebody talking about Kimmy or something conscious, you know, they want to call, here come one of those Hotep Brothers, but they don't even understand the history. And, and, and they don't even understand that you're using a word that was used as a term of endearment. And at the same time, you actually use a word, you know, the N word that was used to degrade your people. But now you call that a term of endearment. Right. And so wow. you see the backward, you see what I'm talking about? Upside out, inside out and backwards. That's that's the, the residue of of suppressed culture, because now it has us thinking in a way we're not even thinking right. You know, so we're thinking of people who are trying to help us or trying to hurt us, you know, trying to educate us. We want to degrade, you know, and so it's, it's serious. You know, the, 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 the suppression is very serious. So what does educational reparations look like to you? Yeah. Uh, I say educational reparations. It, I don't even think it can be achieved uh, until, you know, we get all of the stones turned and all of the bells lift off of our history. Right? Um, we can't even, we have to first go through a process of, of resurfacing what has been suppressed, rewriting what has been redefined, right? And, 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 and putting the original face back to what has been defaced. We have to do all of that first, right? Go inside before we can think about building, right? We gotta first, let's, let's get all, put all of the authenticity on the table and all of the truth and talk about how we're going to disseminate this authenticity because we can have the blackest school right we can it can be an all black school black owned black staff we can have uh billionaires and millionaires black businesses contributing to um to scholarships all we want right it can look beautiful for the community but if they're still teaching in a curriculum that's not offering african authenticity then at the end of the day, it's it's not reparations, it's artificial reparations. Right? We're still we'll still be educating our children to go back to work for the wolves and not be inspired, you know, to do what our ancestors did. Black Wall Street, you know, now we're talking about something that was real, you know. But um we just need to get back to that level. We need to introduce authenticity first. It's not there yet. And that was, you know, that's just another one of my affiliate affinities, 
to, to Kemet because the, the potential is there because of the severity, you know, that, that has been done to it, the, 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 the injustice that has been done to it. So there's so much potential to, to rebuild, you know, and make it what it was, you know, and to repackage it and deliver it in its right way. It, it, you know, and so we have people doing it. You know, we're teaching the original language. And um, yeah, so I think that's the first step. It just needs to be authentic first. And then we can call it autonomy. Like I said, it's not autonomy if it's not authentic. Yeah, that sounds like a large order, a tall order, and getting those things back. Because um, so much has been, has been stolen. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's it's uh it's 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 definitely a tall order, and we need to do you know pretty much fight fire with fire. That's why it's a tall order because they are throwing everything at us, and you know I think that we need because of the fact that they throw so much propaganda at our history that warrants us or or our history to have you know every part of our history should have voices of expertise mm. that are capable of, you know, to providing a buffer to their propaganda. Because I don't think we can anymore just sit by and say, you know what, let's just do what we do and forget about that because they are coming with tons and tons of propaganda. And what we do is just the spark. You know, I know, you know, they say a spark incites the whole community, but at some point, you have to say, we need to create this, this um, force field and buffer stuff. We need to get this stuff away from the people's minds. We need to reflood their minds, just the same way that they're flooding their mind. We need to reflood, you know, detox it first with authenticity and reflood. You know, let's create our own media that generates, you know, that our authentic. Uh, information the way they uh, generate the propaganda every day you yeah. know that's those the, uh, the, yeah those are the steps to me for uh educational reparations or two crucial ones yeah the the main the mainstreaming of america and it's to just have everyone think and respond the same and do away with our roots of who we are Dispelling, um, dispelling misconceptions, myths, and misnomers that lead, takes us right into the next um, area that we want to talk about. And I think we're, we're here at that point. Yeah, so it's, and, and I think that it's within our culture, but when you look at other cultures, some, are, some do better with keeping theirs intact and sharing the history but then when it comes to our culture, it's in pockets, pockets of information. So um, what about dispelling misconceptions and misnomers? Right, yeah, I think that kind of um, kind of was a, that kind of was a segue for my last point, right? Yeah. We, we need to keep generating our truth. We need mm -hmm. it constantly generated you know and that's going to be to create those buffer avenues right that people are constantly seeing the truth and not the propaganda and right so some of these truths have to be uh, or consist of 
the well, the truths aren't dispelling. The truth is just putting out there what it is. Mm -hmm. you know, that way, we don't even get any more dispelled misnomers. But yes, um, <laughs> um, some of the misnomers, there are so many in sure. And I, like I was touching on before, pretty much everything that we talk about from the name Egypt, you know, is a misnomer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a uh, king, uh, pharaoh. And, you know, but one point, and a lot of these words that I throw out all come from, you know, all have the same thing which is a lot of them uh, were created by, uh, a lot of them are Greek terminology, mm -hmm. right? And the thing about, it's almost like a, a you have to play kind of cultural detective. Uh, you know, some of the scholars in, in the comedic community say you have to be a cultural protect, detective when you study Kemet because a lot of it takes that kind of um, mental working to really crack a kid, you know, crack what they're doing to us. And so when you really think about it, if we're putting, if we're calling uh, people of Kemet by Greek words, if we're subscribing to that, you really need to step back and look at the timeline and say, well, if Kemet was in existence 2,000 years before Greece was even a civilization, 4,000 years, I'm sorry, before Greece was even a civilization, why should why are we calling these people what made us think that these people call themselves what the greeks called them you know these greek mm -hmm. terminology where they didn't even exist yet so greek terminology shouldn't even be relevant to what the people in kemet were calling themselves to the places that they you know so it that has no bearing it has no relevance so these are the type of things that we need to really do just you know, sit down with a timeline, you know, and understand that the world doesn't, it didn't work that way. You can't mm -hmm. conflate things onto someone else's history and say that's what it is, you know? And so, right, so when you get words like uh, king and, you know, and, and, and pharaoh, you know, these, these words didn't exist in, in Kemet. These, these were those misnomers, right? Pharaoh actually means great house, right? It's like calling the president of the United States the White House, right? So what they did was they called the ruler who lived in a house. They, they said, oh, man, so that must be the great house because the ruler lives in it, right? But the word was called per-a-a, and it got bastardized into Pharaoh. The Greeks called it Pharaoh. So they looked at, you know, the word that meant great house and called that, you know, the ruler, identified by the ruler, the ruler by that word, I mean. And so, yeah, so these are a lot, how a lot of the bastardations were, you know, were, were happening through Greek invasion. And so a lot of them were, you know, implementing their words on, on ancient um, Kemetic words. But another one uh, that the people of, of Kemet weren't black, uh, that's probably the most common one, right? That's the one they've been, <laughs> you know, ever since the, the study of Egypt, the Egyptology began, you know, that's pretty much where they were going with that, you know, and uh, Egyptology, I believe, was created in like the 1800s, you know, if not the late 1700s, but, you know, they've always tried to say that the Egyptians weren't black, and when they did say that the ruler, what, whenever they try to attribute blackness to Egypt, they point straight to what, you know, what's known as the 25th dynasty. There were 30 dynasties in Kemet. 
right? But it's well known that, now remember I said that Kemet was, the border was Kemet and right south of it was what they call Kush, right? Mm -hmm. A very accentuated African, you know, country. You know what I mean? Um, and the thing about Egypt, it was more of a melting pot, right? People were coming from everywhere, all parts of, they came from West Africa, they came from South Africa, you know? And so you got uh, different uh, people looking different, you got different shades. But see in Kosh, what now they call the sedan, so you had much of that, just that dark hue, you know? And so they attributed that as that's Africa, that's Africans. Anything below that, oh, they, don't, they all look different. That, they're not Africans, you know? So they never called, they always said the Egyptians were their own race, you know, basically. If not, if not white, you know, they wanted to try to take it for their own, you know? But, and so whenever they referred to the black pharaohs, quote unquote, they would refer to the dynasty when the rulers from Kash, you know, the modern sedan came down to Kemet and kicked out the rulers who invaded Kemet, right? So, and they became the rulers now of Kemet. Those of the 20, and they were all like a family of brothers in the 20th dynasty. They came from the south, from Kosh, came down to Kemet. So they were rulers in Kemet for the 25th dynasty. And so what they do was, you know, what they did was, they call them the black pharaohs. See the misnomer right there? So they're saying that's the only time black people ruled in Kemet. You know, that's like saying, that's like saying Marvin Gaye was a mega superstar in the 80s. You say, wait a minute. Okay, he did, he made, he made hits in the 80s, you know, but his his rise was late 60s, 70s. What happened to that? You know, what happened to his greatness? You know, and that's what that's doing. You know, so they play with those misnomers and, and those keywords like that to blotch out a whole part of history. So, um, how do we get this education? There, there's a buzzword that's going around right now in the school systems, and they're using the word critical race theory a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're using that word a lot to try to. Yeah. It's my understanding that what what they want to do is teach the truth. In school, not um, say that one more time, uh, Dr. Jones. I said it, 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 it's my understanding that um, the whole idea of critical race theory is to to teach the truth in school. Oh, the truth, okay, yeah, the it was truth. just that word that got cut off, okay. Yeah, and so I'm wondering because you said a whole lot of stuff um, tonight, yeah. and. And, and what you're saying is 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 telling me that this is information that needs to be part of the history books that is being taught um, to our children in the classrooms. It would uh, it seems like a lot of this information is missing. So for an average person, how would any um, even stumble across this kind of information to get them interested? You came across this information and it sparked something in you. Can you imagine what would happen if this information about um, mm -hmm. everything that you just said was accessible yeah. mm -hmm. in the school systems as young as elementary schools, uh, middle schools, yeah. so that there can be an interest sparked about searching and finding more information. So 
this was a very, very good start because this at least points us in the direction of education. So your first session um, with us on this podcast was about educating mm. our listening audience on information that they were not privy to. Right, right. So what suggestion would you have to anyone who's wow. listening as yeah. to how they can get started? Since they can't get started just going to a library, I don't know. How, right, right. Like, like I the said, the library you, is so big. Yeah. If I walked into the library right. or any. I, I wouldn't even advise it. Where does an average person who is just interested in knowing a little bit more about our ancestors, where do you begin? Where do we start from? Right. Uh, well, definitely uh, the website that I gave out in the beginning. Infundisijahutimas.net. Uh, this is, I mean, it's a suppository. It's 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 all things Kemet. You know, you really want to learn the truth in, in how we practice or how you know the spirituality is practiced, uh, how that's been uh, translated in today's times, how it's being practiced, uh, how a lot of that authenticity is still kept. Museum tours, uh, find out who's giving museum tours. Those are extremely helpful. Uh, to, uh, and you can also find out information about that on the website as well. I can, uh, there's a book that I would like to offer. It's called Spiritual Warriors Are Healers uh, by my grandmaster, Mpundishi Jehutimas. It's a great start for anyone who wants to know about where, I mean, right there, uh, where to start if you are new to, to approaching the comedic legacy, right? That's a book that points you into what is what. Uh, it, it defines so many concepts, the foundational concepts that you'll need to know in order to, before you should even think about moving further into your studies, you know, in terms of the, knowing the nature rule, uh, concepts like the nature, the nature rule, uh, ma'at, uh, you know. Those are all terms that we'll um, introduce right, right. These are terms that we'll, into, um, because we don't want to give our listening audience so much at one time because it's hard to digest all this. And I think when something is hard to digest, people walk away and say, I don't really want to deal with this. But, right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. um, we have another guest on. I don't know if she wants to speak at this moment, but I would like to give our opportunity before we um, close this session because you, we're going to have you back next month because we're going to continue this um, session. Tonight we learned a little bit of information about the language, the land, the Kemet, what it is itself. But we're going to delve into the spirituality part of it as we start to learn a little bit more about what our ancestors we're worshiping in, in our ancient times. So, Miss Kiana Jones, Nika, Amen, welcome back. Hi, everyone. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't even jump in there. Oh. I was just taking it all in, excited, just like the rest <laughs> of you, um, because I just love hearing Basui speak about this. I am very new to this. I'm not taking classes like he is. I haven't been studying like he is. He's been studying for years. Um, so I'm just always sitting at the feet when he's dropping these gems because um, I'm right there like the rest of you, not knowing much, um, but learning a lot. 
And I think earlier when I was going to say something, um, I just wanted to point out that our spirituality is really where our power lies. And so um, it, it doesn't surprise me at all that there's such a push to suppress it because they don't want us to tap into that because it's just so powerful and they're so fearful of what we could do with that information. And it's just amazing that even with the, the leaps and bounds that have been done to keep it away from us, whether we go back to our roots with that or even the other versions that have been watered down and gotten back to us, such as you know some of the organized religions that are more Western, even when we take those and do it full-fledged, we get power from that as well because we are spiritual people and we have to practice something, you know? So even your best Christian is powerful compared to the person that isn't studying anything. Even oh, yeah. if that information isn't the authentic Kemet information. Um, yes, we would like to go in that direction, but even where you are now with whatever you're studying, believe me, because you're interested in a spiritual system, you are gaining power every day with that. Right. And I just think that's very beautiful um, because no matter who I talk to and whatever they study, it could be any different walks of religion, any different walks of a spiritual system. It's all amazing that we can still speak the same language of, you know, what that spirit that's inside of us, that's driving us to aspire to be our highest selves. So that's just always been mm. so. Um, that's the common language. Yeah, it's so common, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm just happy to sit here and like I said and learn and just yeah open my mind and realize um you know and we can mm -hmm. see these we can see it every day like just look at how they put out movie after movie about anything related to Egypt there's no there's no brown people in these movies they don't hire black actors to play these Egyptian characters no. even no. Disney the prince of Egypt you know they have a very specific look uh, when they want to push that down your throat, the gods so it's very are easy <laughs> yeah. for you to um, be told that something is great and then be told that that isn't you. And then what does that do to us, the psyche of our young brown people? You know, and that's that's what it's really all about. They that's the the purpose to keep you in a state of mm. feeling less than. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And can I just touch upon one thing real quick? Yes. You know, because I, I touched upon it before, and I don't want to leave it uh, as a uh, open. You know, and I, I, I really, I touched upon the statues. You know, it right, the representation of the broken noses, and, and link that with spirituality. And so, you know, another thing that you know the Egyptologists that they promote is this untrue that the reason why the statues, their noses are broken, because uh, when the statues fell at some point, you know, when they were doing their reconstruction or whatever, they fell in the noses, which that was the first thing that was checked, you know, on their faces, the noses. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, well, anyway, <laughs> so, so what, what, really was, what really was going on is this, this, start, this is an ancient kemetic practice, which is called oh, the opening of the mouth, right? And you can see this on glyphs. Uh, there are passages that explain what's going on, where there would be a priest holding a symbol called an adaz up to the, the, the deceased, the deceased, is, uh, the deceased person's nose. And what they're doing is they're giving them life in the afterlife, right? 
It's a very spiritual ceremony, you know, so they can continue to live in the afterlife. You know, that's what that is, right? So they're giving the spirit is seeping through the nose, right? So they can be imbued in the afterlife. And so obviously, you know, when in those who chipped their noses off heard about this story, you know, they understood how spiritual we were as people. And they under they, you know, thought that, oh, they relate through their deceased through the nose. That's where the spirit, that's the communication of the spirit, the portal. That's where the spirit enters. And so when the statues were made of the rulers, you know, most of these were rulers that we're talking about. When the statues were made of these rulers that you can see in the uh, Metropolitan Museum or wherever, they were, you know, the noses are broken off. And the reason why is because they figured, well, if we break the nose off the statues, there's no more communication, spiritual communication between the people and who want to communicate with the spirit that resides in this statue, you know, of the deceased person that was imbued, you know, that the deceased pers person was imbued with. Because if they created a statue with it, you know, the idea is that I'm, you know, uh, uh, retaining you in the afterlife, you know, and you have that, that, that spirit inside of you and I can communicate. This is what they're thinking. Right. And so I need to break that nose off so I can cut that spirituality off. So we, you know, we have to understand it's, it's such an assault on our spirituality, you know, uh, from the changing of the names to the breaking of the noses. You know, it, it's it's like so embedded in kinetic culture, you know, and I just wanted to to. Um, yeah, no, that no, that's fine. And we'll go further into that when we when we go further yeah, into our, our um, spiritual concept. So, um, Anita, would you like to um, say anything in closing so that we can um, begin to wrap this up? Yes. Um, so ancient Kemet, I believe that this story has to unfold. The education has to get out there. And from the beginning, it's, it's, it's been a well-designed system and withdrawing, um, keeping, hidden, erasing, making their own, everything that you can think of in terms of erasing the past of a group of people, which is us, African-Americans, Blacks, it's been done and it continues to be done. Um, and the more we get away from it and not do anything about it, then we're, it's like it'll never be recovered. So I, I think that this is a great mission that you are on, Basui. And I know that you will, you will rise and get this information out there. It's been, it's very passionate for you and just honored to be here on Real Talk with Real People this evening, sharing this insight with everyone. You and Kiana, your great sources of information. And then I look forward to our next session. I want to thank you all for um, showing up and speaking this evening. You have been listening to another edition of Real Talk with Real People. We will be back um, next month and we will continue this conversation. I want to thank my guest, Mr. Basui Nika Amen and his lovely wife, Miss Kiana Jones Nika Amen. We will see you all again next month. Have a good evening.